Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Real Talk. Today, we have unsolicited opinions. Boom, 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 boom. I want to start out with, this is not unsolicited. You were solicited to give your opinion to a bunch of high school kids. I was. In Bridgeport. I was, my hometown. We, everyone knows that you're from Bridgeport. Do they really? If they've listened to this <laughs> podcast, they know you're like the unofficial mayor of Bridgeport, yes. Uh, I, I kind of do talk about Bridgeport um, a lot. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. I have a lot of hometown pride. Yes, you do. Yeah, so it was actually very nice to go back and volunteer and spend some time with some high schoolers, freshmen, sophomores, talking about college prep, mm. which is something that's missing in a lot of our school systems is adequately preparing our students for the transition between high school and college. And not just the transition, but the application process within itself, mm. like crafting a college essay, coming up with a list of schools they may be interested in. What are some factors of different schools that they may or may not like? Like mm -hmm. the size of the university, the academic programs offered, living on campus versus living off campus versus commuting. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Public institutions versus private versus HBCUs. Um, so what was the context? Like what were these kids gathered for? So this was actually an onboarding process. So they're going to be working most of them their first job. Um, this is a way to get their first job, you know, get their feet wet with some career readiness skills. Mm -hmm. And this was a part of their onboarding. Interesting. And so how many people did you talk to? How big were the groups? The groups were about 30 um, a time. And I believe when it was all said and done, over 160. Wow. So yeah, you're tired today. <laughs> And I made you record anyway, so thank you. Yes, and we're here. We're mm -hmm. here. Yeah, that, that sucked the, the life out of you. It did suck the life out of me, but you know, um, I did appreciate it. it. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way with teaching. Like, I love teaching, and it it's a heavy drain on your resources. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, tell me, like, how were the students? Like, are they interested? Are they excited about college? Are they nervous? Do it, they not care? Where they at? reminded me a lot of myself. And, you know, once so many years go by, like, it's hard to remember where your headspace was at a certain age. But I think for a lot of those students, they have not had the chance to think about it yet. Like, no one has brought the topic up. No one has, um, it seems like, sat down and had an in-depth conversation about what can life look like outside of high school. Like, what are some of the possibilities you can do, places you can go in this country and out the country, and how you can do it realistically? Hmm. And so, yeah, are they, are they interested? Are they? Um, after the conversation, almost the majority of them were interested. Hmm. And so I think it was really just talking about it in a way in which it makes sense. Uh, I think for a lot of them, this was their first kind of conversation mm -hmm. about college. And I'm glad we caught on and it was a great time to catch them. Um, a lot of students, like half of them were excited about HBCUs, which surprised me because, you know, we live in Connecticut. Um, so... What, because it's geographically far yeah. to go to HBCU? You know, the cost of like traveling out of state, yeah. you know, how often do you want to come home and kind of th some of those factors. 
um, especially with so many universities up north that are close by. Yeah, but there's a, a real good reason why. Why you won't go to HBCU. That's right. Yeah, it was very surprising, but nice to hear hmm. that their love for HBCUs, they knew about HBCUs. And yeah. They had a bunch. They didn't have a lot of colleges they knew they wanted to go to, but they listed a lot of HBCUs. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder how much of that is, I'm sure a lot related to social media and also just like the power of people sharing images, videos, stories, dances like in the in pop culture like Mm -hmm. hbcus are quite present and and you know people i think see that on on tiktok and other forms of social media and think like oh i could see myself there especially when you're talking about a a group of students that are almost entirely made up of black and latinos yeah and so when you think about like representation yep you know you want to go somewhere where you're represented yep and where you know you have been historically represented um, so we, we had lots of fun conversations, a lot of nurses, oh, lots cool. of people interested oh, I love in that. nurses. I love that. I said, oh, wow. Um, doctors, they wanted to be doctors, nurses. Cool. I heard a few computer science, uh, but a lot of folks is just, um, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure yet either. What kind of questions did they have for you? Oh, tons. Can <laughs> I bring a car on campus my first year? <laughs> that Depends. is so funny from like a freshman. Well, it's a it's a good question. It's a good question. Because sure, sure. every school you can't. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, roommates, what are roommates like? Mm. How many roommates do I get? Uh-oh. Um, we talked about some residence halls having curfews. And I'm not speaking about my institution here. I'm just speaking about um, higher ed kind of nationally. Mm-hmm. Talking about curfews. Um, talking about smaller colleges versus larger colleges. Like what is the culture difference like? Um a lot of questions about scholarships, paying for college, um, when to start. Mm-hmm. Um, college essay, how long it should be. Is five paragraphs good? Yeah. So. Interesting. So there is a little bit of the sense that like all colleges are the same. I mean, there is the common application, I know. Yes. Yes. So talking about kind of the differences in that, um, we talked a lot about study abroad. Hmm. We talked a lot about study abroad, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So this is heartening to me as a professor, um, hearing that younger people still see college as a place of opportunity and excitement, whether that's studying abroad, whether that's like a career as a nurse or whatever that looks like for them. Um, but they're, they're seeing that as, as opportunity. Yeah. Um, when I think about like communities that have been disenfranchised and, that like lack resources. Um, there's a huge need for folks to go back to these communities and share their knowledge, share their experiences um, that they have been able to accomplish. Because mm-hmm. for a lot of people, it's very hard to envision yourself somewhere that you have never been. If you have never been on a college campus, it's hard to see yourself on a college campus. For sure. If you don't know many people that have a degree, you may not really understand one, like different kinds of degrees, what you can do with them, what that experience is like. So it can be quite foreign. Um, I think sometimes even looking back for me, it was quite foreign. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was doing my college pro- like process on a whim a little bit. Sure. Let's see what happens. Yeah, very much. Um, we'll, we'll give this a shot. Huh. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that those conversations with those hundred and sixty some students, are really going to matter to them because if no one has talked with them about this before or no one who maybe they related to 
because sometimes people talk to us and that doesn't help because we're we don't see ourselves as we're not hearing them as as like a possibility for us mm. um but hearing that in that conversation from you that will open their ears in new ways to other conversations or to other paths i just think you know sometimes someone has to just mention something to you for your perspective to shift or for new opportunities to seem available to you. So I think this will really matter to them. Well, I think so. And, you know, this needs to be a constant thing. There needs to be a consistent stream of people going back into the communities, mentoring the youth, especially, um, you know, our middle, our middle schoolers and our young high schoolers, um, ensuring that they can see there's countless opportunities, even outside of higher ed, that they can have a fulfilling life in. Mm -hmm. That's why I talk so much about study abroad. So many students have never traveled out of their state, right? have never left the country. Um, and there's so many different cultures and new experiences that folks can enjoy. Um, but they just need to know that there's ways to accomplish that, that can be affordable for them and mm -hmm. achievable. Yep. If anyone wants to know how to like max out their college experience, you were the person to go to. I did too much. Don't not max as much as I max. I maxed more for a lifetime. Well, listen, it's like if you're going to stay in a hotel and it has a pool and it has a vending machine, it has a whatever you want to like use all the facilities. I use all the facilities. There's a lot of facilities <laughs> at a university. Use all of them. All of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, studying abroad. Um, other opportunities that, you know, that are unique to being in college and to being able to do things with a cohort of other people. Yeah, you did it. Yeah. Um, and so did a lot of my peers. And so when I think about going back to my hometown, because I used to do a lot of volunteer service, it's been some time since, you know, like you leave your, you leave your hometown, you go to college, you do this, then mm -hmm. it's nice to go back and, um, tighten up my public speaking skills. Oh, that's right. Give back. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and trying to give presentations to young high schoolers yeah. um, will keep you on your toes. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Um, okay. So about college admissions, this is one thing I wanted to ask you about. Yes. I don't know. I've just been hearing about it recently. Um, if I were keeping up with like higher ed lit, I'm sure that I would have known this sooner. Um, but have you heard of something called performance-based admissions? I feel like I have. Okay, so the basic idea, and there are, it's, it's fairly new in the last couple of years as a model, um, but MIT has started doing it. UC Boulder has a master's degree. A lot of times it's with a grad program um, where you don't need to have even a high school degree. You don't need a college degree. You take some online classes you take a test and sometimes the classes are free, but you pay to take the test depending. Um, and then if you do well, then you're in. Oh, like that's your application process. So you're not taking um, standardized tests. You're not, and it's specific. Like the one that at um, UC Boulder is an MA in data science. So it's specifically about data science stuff. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that's the technical term. I'm not in that program. Um, Our poor data science listeners. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on the podcast. So I think that this is an interesting model because you're, you're cutting out certain, mm -hmm. certain barriers. Yes. Right? You're cutting out the barrier like in terms of doing well on a standardized test, um, certain GPAs, 
uh, letters of rec, um, all of those kinds of things. Even the bit about having a college degree, you can jump right into a master's degree. Um, if, if you can do the work, if yeah. you, if you excel at the work, then you're in. And so what do you think about that as in terms of equity? Do you think that's a positive step? I do. I think education needs to be diverse. We need to be diverse in the way we offer programs, the way we offer learning, the way we stand up and serve students and communities. There's needs to not be this one size fit all model across this country. You know, different communities, different fields all have different needs. They also all have populations that are underserved or not represented. And so there needs to be creative ways in which to drag more people in and to engage with these programs. Um, and there is so many barriers to higher education, whether that's financial, whether that's previous education, um, even things like SAT scores and GPAs. There could be a lot of reasons for why someone's scores are low. Um, and even letters are wreck. Okay, so I'm with you certainly about like the creative solutions, but what I wonder is like, does it are like just tend to privilege people who are already privileged? Like if you had a, if you went to a really great school system, mm -hmm. you got a better education because you know, public education in the U S is very varied, varied, very varied. Especially so, here in Connecticut, people who have better educations are going to be able to do that better. You mm. know what I mean? Like if you are, if you are underprepared, or if you like, like, of course, there are a few people who just excel, right? They will excel if given that opportunity. But I wonder if it wouldn't create as much opportunity as we think it might. Well, I think when I think about accessibility, I think accessibility helps everyone. And that's kind of the thing. It will sure. help probably people that have, um, you know, more advanced education than others. But also I think about the way it's framed and the way it's mm -hmm. marketed. Like, will it be marketed to those groups of students versus other groups of students? Will those groups of students want a program like that in the first place? Right. Or would they be attracted to something else? When I think about students that have gone through more advanced education, like K-12, they have been preparing for college since maybe the sixth grade, and they probably have a really good idea of where they want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... These courses that it's like, oh, if you do well in these classes, then you're in. It's like, cool, but they are very hard courses. I would imagine. You know, so like you have to be, you have to either have been well educated or to have well, like educated yourself, which some people, again, are motivated to do. But I'm just curious if we'll see more and more of that. Um, because uh, like, as it is right now, like if, if folks are not great at basic you know, math and, and reading comprehension, writing skills, they're not going to get into these. But maybe programs. it's not for that. Maybe it's for like folks that have been working in that field for like 10 years, but don't have a degree in that field. Sure. That and would need be a, a great opportunity to like progress further in their career. Sure. 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 So I'm not necessarily sure how they're framing it. And I would be very curious to see like, how does it go in practice and mm -hmm. like in a five, 10 years. Um, yeah, me too what happens from it right and also you know of course like it's one thing to take a couple classes because it's something you're interested in or you want to get better at for whatever reason but then there's like oh you know the time and dedication it takes to actually complete a master's degree which is a big commitment yes right so i imagine like it's an appealing idea maybe a lot of people would start 
And then they'd be like, mm, 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 I don't know. Mm. Yeah. That's very interesting. I know. I And yeah, it's sort of like a, I think about it like a rolling start into school. Mm. And I kind of did that with grad school myself. I took a couple classes just in, as an auditor and then like decided, oh, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll do this. <laughs> And I think it helped That's me get in. very much like higher ed vibes. Okay, yeah, I try this. Mm, okay, this works. Yeah, well, I mean, I worked at a job I didn't like, and so I just thought I'd take an English class, grad school class. And then I was like, you know what? I could go to grad school. Hmm. And here we are. Yes, yes. So that's exciting. Um, I'm really, I think higher ed is moving in a direction where they're finally thinking about students from all walks of life. And I'm excited to see what kind of new creative programs come out of that. And also what kind of new theories and academics and just people that will have access to education and make these huge, meaningful accomplishments because of it. Mm-hmm. All right. So I have one. Okay. How to reduce the number of freaked out, stressed out 2 a.m. emails I get from undergrads. I want to say something in the syllabus and at the beginning of the course to help this situation. Um, this professor um, is talking about receiving floods of emails every night from students from all across the hours, um, concerned about grades, classwork, missing work, all types of things. Okay, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I will say that this professor is concerned about their students' well-being versus, no, they're cranky. They're cranky. It's, it's written very crankily. Okay, yeah. well, it's like, don't check your email at two in the morning. That is a thing, yes. I mean, a lot of times, like, if, if I, you know, in the morning I'm checking my email before I come to campus and I see that somebody is, you know, emailed me a question about an assignment at 3.30 or 4.45 or, or something, then I'm thinking this person is overwhelmed, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're pulling an all-nighter and, you know, certainly like midterms and finals is like the seasons for those things. But sometimes it happens off-season too. And um, to me, it's a signal that somebody is probably struggling with their commitments. Hmm. Um, So I don't take that as a personal affront. I usually feel bad for them. Hmm. And I want to be helpful to them in that regard. I think if you're always getting all these emails, then you're probably lacking a little bit of clarity Mm. for your students because you know if you're clear about what the assignments are and and what the requirements are you're you're talking about it in class you're reinforcing especially for you know it is a lot to be a student it's a lot to be a teacher but it helps everybody if you're just really clear with those things and offer reminders it may be the fact that yeah we shouldn't have to i know a lot of um faculty like look at the syllabus or look at online there's a lot of like the deadlines in five different places but it you know it doesn't hurt to just be like hey don't forget this is due next tuesday Hmm. what questions do we have you can sort of set up your class so that there's more opportunity to talk about assignments so they're not sneaking up on students and so they have opportunities to look at something maybe during class and ask questions during class um so that's what i would say Very interesting take. I like that. Because I didn't think of that. Maybe there's something that's very unclear about this course if they're getting so many emails. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And I find like the more clear my classes are, the the fewer questions I get. I also you know? just think of like the lifestyle of a college student. Like oftentimes, if you have class during the day and you work during the day, then you're doing schoolwork at night. And so these are probably like first year students that are emailing while they're doing work. Maybe the emails are a little frantic, but at this time frame, um, I would do emailing when I was like a freshman at the timeline too, at the same time. Sure. But instead of hitting send, I would hit um, send later and just pick like an early time. That's a, definitely a hack for students. Yes. I mean, it's not a problem, I don't think, necessarily to email your professors at kind of odd hours. However, it does communicate something. Yes. Like I was just telling my interpretation of what that means. That professor had a different interpretation. And that's it's, why I didn't send emails at 3 a.m. It's part of the message because it just, it introduces things. That's why I don't send emails at three in the morning. Because when you send an email at three in the morning, you seem like you're losing your mind. A little bit. When you send it at six in the morning, you seem like you are the most productive human. <laughs> Absolutely. I always think that when I get your 6 a.m. email. <laughs> so regardless of the content. That's right. Timing matters. It, it does. Yeah. And I also find I've learned from colleagues of mine that, um, you know, setting boundaries around email mm. because we all need to like we don't need to be on 24 hours a day. So if that professor has email work email on their phone, I would suggest don't have work email on your phone. I have work email on my phone and I think I should delete it. Now. Oh, take it off. Take it off. Take it off. Um, that's a boundary. But you could always like look at it if you needed to, like on Safari or something, mm. you know. I've done that in a case of emergency, but really that's rare. Like you're fine. You don't need notifications popping up because you got a work email. Absolutely not. And then you can also tell your students, like, I don't check email on the weekend, even if you actually do. <laughs> uh, and you can say, I check email once between nine to five, allow, you know, 48 hours for a response. If you don't hear from me, then reach out again. Um, but, and reinforcing those so they're pretty clear to students, of course, then they have to navigate all their different professors' stuff. That's really what we don't talk about in higher ed. We you, talk about it. We have six classes. There'd be six classes, different professors, different rules, restrictions, ideas of how we should move forward. It's like you have to learn each faculty's kind of mojo here and kind of navigate that all at the same time. That's right. Yes. It, it, it can be quite complicated. It is part of the experience. And some students are really adept at that. Yes. Some, some are really good. Some if their are interpersonal not. skills are quite high. I also think about people like on the autism spectrum, there's all this sort of unspoken norms mm. too. That's why it's really good to be very clear in writing on the syllabus and out loud so that, you know, students aren't guessing. Because again, like, Students who can read social cues really well, they'll always do well. But when things are unclear, people who really need that sort of clarity in boundaries and, and rules and expectations, they will have a hard time. Hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so I, here's one thing I'm, I'm curious what you think about. Um, you know how I feel about online classes mm -hmm. versus in-person. I much prefer being in-person most of the time for teaching. And we're seeing this big move towards a push for online degree programs, um, 
for online classes, students really wanting online classes. And I think about that as someone who studies and practices, obviously, communication. And I think about this with workplaces, too, whether that's higher ed or outside higher ed, places that are grappling right now with this question of, like, you know, people not wanting to come back to work in person or wanting remote or hybrid kind of options. I'm a huge advocate for remote work. Okay. So let's think about some remote work. Let's think about this, though. And I was just talking to my dad about this last week um, about like fully remote workplaces mm-hmm. in terms of like leadership and connection with other people. He's like my leadership style. He was in HR was walking around, you know, talking with people like the quick little face to face, like building um, relationships, because I think that it's much easier for things to be transactional and for there to be a lot more resentment and missed um, cues. Okay, I have so many hot takes about remote work. Okay, so there's remote work, but then there's also like remote learning. There is. So anyway, I'm curious, like, what do you think about all that? Oh, I have that? so many thoughts. Okay, um, I think remote work, one, is the future. I think, um, you know, since the pandemic and that year to year gap of folks working from home and being good at their jobs, from the comfort of their home. Okay, but how do we do transition. how do we do that well? I am I think what we noticed, and I've read a lot of articles about this, um, in the New York Times, they were posting a lot of articles about this throughout the pandemic, about certain jobs not necessarily even needing to be a thing if you have remote work. Like certain um, management roles. Um, folks tend to manage themselves, especially if they're getting their work done. Um, and so I think it changes the way in which we approach work, which we approach the workplace and how we approach connections. So maybe we're not getting all our connections from work, but instead our social circles. Maybe it's also allowing folks to create better boundaries with work. Um, a lot or, of, or worse, though, because if you work in your home space, it can be hard to. Well, I suppose if you do not have a good work from home space, then, then a remote job may not be the best kind of job for you either. Um, and so I think there will be a transition to remote work. And I think workplaces will transition with that, how they have been transitioning every so often. Um, but I think it would just look different. And even thinking about like meta, how they want to have folks meeting in this virtual space. In my mind, I can't picture what that looks like or even how that would work in an everyday office. I don't um, even want to talk about that. But that might be a thing in the next five years. You know, that really might be a thing. Technology may help bridge the gap of techn- um, of connections. So. Okay, what about in the context of, of learning? Um, so my first online class was a history class. We learned about, I want to say it was Chinese military. It was a very long time ago. It was a very random topic. But I took it because it was an online course. Um, I was working... I believe 2 to 4 a.m. at a shift, and I had to be awake. And so I figured since I have to be awake, and normally no one's awake at 2 to 4 Mm a.m., so you're bored, what do you do? I'm going to take a class. Best idea ever, okay? So I I had something to do, had something to watch. I watched the lectures. I did the homework, did the test. I would have got an A because this is the downside of an online course, I was distracted during my final. 
Mm. It was like a time thing you had to do. And I lost like 30 minutes. So I couldn't fill out the whole thing. And I was very upset about that. Um, so I have mixed feelings about online work. But I think it fits some students. It fits some situations. Like I needed to have an online class because I wanted a full schedule. Right. I couldn't have a full schedule because I needed to sleep during the day. Right. So it allowed me to take classes at night um, in a very untraditional fashion. So I think it can work depending on folks' circumstances and also like their preferences. Okay, so what about, um, okay, so imagine this, right? Like you're a high school student, you're graduating. Yes. And you're like, well, I could go to college or I could save money and I could do this online degree. Oh. And then I never have to leave. So then, uh, perfect, I'm going to take this online degree and I'm going to do that. You should see Jamil's face right now. He looks like he's like just smells something terrible. I'm not a fan like, of what full if that was your experience. Degrees. I'm not a full fan. I'm not a fan. Of, I would I would personally like, not what do, do you think? A, what do you think uh, would be online degree? I mean, because there are certain settings like where a whole degree, a whole degree, a whole undergrad degree. The entire degree is whole, online. Whole thing. Mm. Now, that sounds lonely. The whole degree. Because, mm. you know, if you're taking five, six classes and one and two are online. Right. The restaurant person, you're getting a mixture of experiences. That's right. That's right. If you have the entire program online, I think one, how do you build connections with your faculty? You can do it, but it sounds it's like it will hard. be difficult. It's harder. Yeah. How will you meet and network with your peers? Again, it's harder. Seriously. Like, how do you, like, other than talking underneath a blog post, how are you talking with your peers? Right. And we know that that kind of chatting under a blog post is not the same as like chatting no. with somebody before class starts. Or even during class. Or during class. You know, right. you could be talking with someone for, I suppose, a whole semester and not even know what they look like. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I think about the interpersonal skills you would maybe not gain from an online program. I think about the social connection. I think about the social experience, mm -hmm. which is a huge part of higher education. Yep. I think about personal development that comes from interpersonal experiences that yep. you may not get from a, on a full online program. Right. However, folks have different needs. That's right. Now, everyone's needs aren't like my needs. So uh, a fully online program may work for somebody. Maybe they work full time. Yep. Maybe they have children. Yep. M maybe they they're low on time. And they don't want all the extra. It could work better this. maybe for, for folks who are very like self-motivated. Oh, I think and, you would have to be self-motivated for this. Perhaps like, yeah, very like uh, you have a goal in mind mm. and you're probably a little older or maybe. I would imagine, but maybe. Um, I would also kind of feel like the program should be quick. If it's fully online, is it four years? Is the program really four years to complete? Or is it a one-year program? Oh, a one-year to get a bachelor's degree? Think about all the classes you took. Can you imagine doing those online in one year? No. I f my, my, my first question would be, is that degree accredited? They're, they're certainly accredited full online programs. You, you ever see those commercials and wonder, like... Well, some of them are predatory. You know you know, commercials that we talk yeah, about yeah, come yeah, on yeah. TV? You'd be like... Yeah. I have never heard of such a thing. Hmm. Right. Is that a real thing? Yeah. I mean, I certainly like, I think online like master's programs for teachers, for example, like in education, mm -hmm. that works great because they can do that like evening programs online. They're working full time as a teacher. 
it's just like an incredible amount of work. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have a, it's like a continuing ed. Like they have a goal in mind, a project, a pay bump that comes on the other side. So those circumstances seem good to me, but I just, you know, just thinking about, you know, like during the pandemic, how like you've had the experience of like, you have to call tech support for something. Yes. Like you're whatever, something's not working. You need to call 1-800 or whatever. And you know how like maybe you feel sometimes a little short with people. Mm. That's how some students online te- their, treat their teachers. Oh, they I would imagine. treat us kind of badly. And they talk to us like we're customer service folks who are giving them a hard time. And that comes across in, in the evals and stuff too. So that tells me like a few things. Like one, of course, it's not very enjoyable as a teacher. Like mm. it feels bad. But also that those students are not there's something that's missing for them and they're not having a good experience. I, I will say though, online learning can often feel transactional. It feels like you're right. going through like a training module, like, okay, read this text, answer these questions, read this text, fill out this quiz, right? read this text, do a yeah. midterm. Sure, sure, sure. And then you do that for a semester and you're not having this back and forth. You're not having discussions. Um, you may not have, even know your professor's name because yeah. you never had a conversation. So it does feel like you just purchased credits in a way. Like mm. I read this, I filled this out. Like it feels transactional. Yeah. I'd I'm be, not sure. Was that a hot take for a higher ed podcast? <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's true. I mean, again, like we're, we're just two people offering our unsolicited opinions on things. So that is we're, what we're it is. We're two people in a windowless room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we are. But I, I really, you know, this is an invitation to folks listening. You know, there are certainly people who specialize in and study how to do this well, mm. how to do online teaching well, how to create that sense of community um, and warmth and connection and challenge, like all that kind of stuff that comes a little bit, not necessarily because, of course, like in-person classes can also be hostile. Yes, they can be. No question. So for some people, maybe online provides a sense of security in a lot of ways. Hmm. Anyway, if there's anyone out there who wants to talk to us about how to do this well, how to teach online well, how to run a, a program that's online, how to do it well, we'd be interested to talk to you. That's a really good point you're making because I have taken online classes where the faculty member didn't know how to even use Blackboard. So there also is a gap to in training. Like if you're going to teach an online course you need to be familiar with technology you need to like manage the challenge of like giving information in a way in which is accessible for all your students Mm -hmm. so uh, that's a really good idea for an episode but all right how about this okay um they're asking for professional advice um how do you respectfully decline giving a student a reference because you know it will be a bad one Oh, that's a really very tough and awkward situation. Um, it is the right thing to do. To st- like, you want to, like, we have to offer honest recommendations. And that's the right thing to do to say to a student, like, no, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I, I can't do that. Because, you know, like, to give them a bad letter would harm them. And they can ideally find somebody else who could write them a different kind of letter. I recently did have to do this mm-hmm. with somebody 
this was the first time. Well, no, actually, it's not the first time because, and yeah, okay, it's a, it's a communication situation. I've, I've had to do it a couple of times, not because necessarily I'd have bad things to say, but because I don't have much to say at all. Like, oh, like one student had been in my family stories class. So we've been, you know, writing and drawing about our family stories years ago, like three years ago. And then is applying to, uh, who knows, like a, a, a grad program in like political science. I can't speak to that person. I can speak to their experience in my, my class, but if they were going on to like be, to apply for a job as a, a counselor for a art camp or something, sure. You know, I can speak to that, but I can't speak to this person as a student really because it was a long time ago and the class was so different from what they were applying for. So I just said, you can find somebody better. I talked a lot about this with the high schoolers yesterday. Yeah. The importance of finding a good recommendation. Like, stop asking folks that mm. barely know you. Nope. Especially don't ask folks that you don't have good experiences with. Because a lot of people do ask folks that they don't have good experiences with. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah no, no. And then they write them a bad rec and they're confused on why. I'm surprised that they would even write it, you know, to begin with. But, okay, so... Some folks will. Some folks will They'll write be like, it. I'll write you a letter. I'll write you a letter. Wow. A spiteful letter. Okay, so <laughs> I did have another student who... Um, and I felt for this student because they were in a tough spot. They had just transferred their senior year. This mm -hmm. was their last semester. They, li I think sometimes people are like, oh, I like this professor. Mm. They're nice to me. I'm going to ask them to write a letter. But the thing is that this student didn't talk in class, didn't talk to me outside of class. I didn't, they missed a lot of class. I just didn't know them at all, you know? So I, I wouldn't have had anything to say for a letter. I mean, like for a job, I, I, don't, I don't know you well enough to write, to write this. Yeah. And I, I know that you're in a tough spot because you just got here. And I might know you better than anyone else and I don't know you at all. Mm. So that is something to think about ahead of time. And I had a hard time too, because I was a really shy student. Um, so it's important that the relationship and or your work, certainly we can always look back at your work and be like, they got an A plus in this class. You know, here's what they wrote about. Here's what they did. Here's my experience of them. And we can look back through our records if we have them to see that. But if we're looking back and we're like, you're always late to class. You're always talking and you got a D. I could write that. But did you do better in another setting? Mm. And do you want that person to write your letter instead? Yeah. Picking a reference letter. You got to be diplomatic though. Mm. For sure. And you have to frame it in terms of what's best for the student. It is a really hard thing to do to say no though. Maybe it's not like like a like a strong no. Maybe it's one of those... I really recommend you find somebody that is better suited to really showcase your abilities for X, Y, and Z. Sure. And then they might be like, no, you're the best. And I'll say it takes a long you, time. Like, it takes a long time to write letters. Yes. It really, yes. It, it, it takes a lot of, to do it well, I think it, it takes time. Hmm. I do have more. Okay. What you got? Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this one. Um, 
this is a very strange um, kind of statement, general question. Um, adjunct instructor with a ex-con student. They teach at a community college. They understand how community colleges work. Um, they have a student who is a, as you describe it, ex-con. They don't say for what. Um, allegedly, the student is very irritable and competitive with their positioning, their posture. Oh. And I suppose throughout the course, um, that has escalated somehow. Um, they don't really go into much details, but apparently this student is very closed off to this professor. Like, doesn't really want to be communicative, doesn't really want to talk to them. Um, and this professor is uncomfortable teaching basically an ex-con student. And they're asking for thoughts. Interesting. Um, interesting. I guess if I were talking to this person, mm -hmm. I would... I'm guessing there's a gender dynamic too. Doesn't say, but I would imagine possibly in terms of like feeling a threat in some way. It may be. I'm guessing ex-con is kind of a weird term to use these days. I it think. is a it is a weird term. Um, and it's weird to sort of really point that out. Um, they voted like 14 times because certainly there are people who are threatening who have never been convicted of things. Yes. In fact, like the students that I've felt threatened by are not quote unquote. They've never been incarcerated, and but yet they're they were doing things that made me feel concerned. Mm. Um, loud outbursts in large lectures about creepy stuff, creepy things that they're writing in their notes that are threatening in their assignments. So I would ask this person because posture is very um, what's the word subjective. It is. It's very subjective. Um, our nonverbal communication, we often don't are not aware of what we're communicating. And it's the most we communicate. Yeah. So that's giving calm one on one. Yeah, that's right. So the um that professor is perceiving something that might not be there. So I would ask this person, in what way or what wh what is it that's particularly threatening to you? you yeah. Know, what it, what do you think is happening? Um, what's your concern? And that's, I want them to really look that at one. that. Because it, it felt like there was a lot of bias because the paragraph's really short and they mentioned quote unquote ex-con like 14 times. Um, talking a lot about posture and it almost feels like a fulfilling fantasy. Like you think this person's going to be bad so you see them as bad. Right. Like it seemed like you already had a determination in your mind who this student was and you fulfilled that. Um, like if the student doesn't want to communicate with you, maybe you're making the student uncomfortable. Yeah, I was about to say, like, especially if somebody's been incarcerated, they're probably being very um, defensive, you know, like protective, self-protective mm -hmm. in um, that space. Like, and that can appear as closed off, but it can really just be somebody trying to protect themselves. But I would imagine if you are being really nervous and weird and strange to this one particular student versus the rest of the class. Oh, for a sure. A student would pick up on that. Right. And they'd feel different. and Yeah. And not want to talk to you. So like, and then now you're on the extreme because they want to talk to you. Now you want them removed from the class. Like these are just very Yeah, stark. it could escalate. I mean, one thing that this is just my instinct as a person is if I'm feeling uneasy about a student for whatever reason, um, 
or I think I can say this at this point. We're season five. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've had a student before who um, said that, you know, the most important, like out loud in a very angry way, second day of class, that the one of the biggest social justice issues was um, that feminists were causing men to commit suicide. Um, so I was very caught up and it, just his demeanor was like really wild. Um, and, and then I started seeing him not treating women very well in class. So anyway, my instinct when a student is being a particular way and acting far outside of social norms. Hold on, pause. I'm yeah. dying to know. What did you say after that outburst? Oh, and then also about men's rights. Um, what did I say? Wait, what like, in the world did you say? It's like, this is the kind of stuff you can't prepare for. It's like, no, it's a surprise. you do not hear that every day. I've never oh, heard that. You know that what I said? You know, I, now I remember. I said, I said, well, because what, what you have to do as a teacher is you have to sort of, you don't want to alienate and isolate a student. That's not helpful. But you also need to communicate with the rest of the students. So what they said was really out of pocket and that you need to sort of, make make it okay while also communicating that it's not okay it's a lot to do in a moment with no that's, preparation yeah that's what i've died it's hard to know. okay <laughs> so i said well suicide among men is a problem like more men commit violence against themselves and others than women do so certainly that's a social justice issue sure hmm. something like that you know yeah to acknowledge both that, yes, men commit more suicide than women do. They also commit more violence against women and other men. Hmm. It has nothing to do with feminists. On day two. I know, on day two. So anyway, but when, um, and then that other student I was mentioning that, that actually I started instinctually writing down like a, a, a log of mm. everything that this student did because... I just, I had got shooter vibes, honestly. Like I was frightened by the student. And then I talked to my advisor and I talked to other faculty in the the school and they had started doing the same thing too. Um, and so that was really helpful to me because I was talking to others about like, do you have this this student? Like this is the kind of stuff he's been saying and he's been yelling in a 300 person lecture in the middle of stuff and, um, you know, he's just acting odd in in ways that uh, from a thousand students I've taught, I've never seen somebody act like this. So, and I'm just writing it down. And so that was helpful to talk about that. But my instinct with all of these kind of students is to always get closer hmm. because cause you don't know how much is your assumptions. And if if you're getting closer to somebody, whatever that looks like, interacting more with them, you know, standing closer to them, um, asking them questions, engaging with them more often, then you can you get a better gauge. You can get a better gauge yeah. and, and often realize like, oh yeah, this person is super depressed. Yeah. Um, they're not okay. And here I can direct them to resources or, hey, all they needed is like a connection with somebody and hey, they're okay or they're not okay. And then you can know what to do. I could think of other peers of mine over the years that have exhibited similar behavior to what you're referring to. Uh, this is a little off the beaten path from 
what she's talking about sure. um, and or them and their question. Um, but, you know, exhibiting behavior that's really out of the ordinary, like shouting at a lecture, becoming aggressive, then really sad, or just like the influx of emotions. And some of my first thoughts are always like wellness, like yeah, mm, absolutely. mental health services, like um, ensuring that that person gets resources, especially if they're a young person. You know, this is kind of the age where you are no longer in high school, you're at university. Um, there's a lot more eyes on you, potentially, than mm-hmm. there ever have before. And maybe this person is developing a mental illness or are struggling with something, and now we're some of the first people to actually notice. Right, which happens between the ages of 18 and 25 often. Yes, especially when you think about if you come from a small town or something, or you were at a high school where maybe they didn't pay you any attention, or you had different kind of home configurations. You come to a university, there's thousands of people here, so there's a lot more eyes on you. And there could literally be, like, you know, folks, um, you know, bipolar is often diagnosed. Later in life. Yeah, like, a lot of things happen between the ages of 18 and 25 when brains are A lot of things do happen between the ages of 18 and 25. You know? Yeah. Mental health stuff comes out. um, And so we can, yeah, we can be some of the first people to, to witness that. But I... I would I really ask that person to to consider their their bias. Yes. For sure. Okay, I have one more for you. Okay. We were like, oh, we're gonna keep this short and like we are not. Um but it's good. You know, we have thoughts. We have thoughts, we have thoughts. So it's what happens when folks ask us our thoughts. We have tons of them to give. And I, I mean uh, sort of no one did ask us. Well, but, uh, <laughs> well like yeah, yeah, no one really did that. I guess if, if people are listening to the podcast, they, it's sort of an agreement that, like, they want to know what we have to say. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay, so my question is, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last uh, few weeks since um, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which mm. is an ongoing situation. And I've been thinking about how might that impact higher ed and in a lot of different ways. So I, for example, like as a trans person, I came to Connecticut on purpose because I knew that I would have rights and access to healthcare in Connecticut and would be able to have a good life, day-to-day kind of life, like basic human rights here. I'm not going to North Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, there are a lot of Oklahoma, Nebraska. I'm not going to those places because I have less rights. You know what yes. I mean? So if I were, you know, a cisgender woman and I were getting a PhD and looking at schools, you I would, would want to move. I would want to go work or actually, frankly, even outside of higher ed, right? Like I would want to go somewhere where I knew that I had full rights. Conversely, people who are strongly pro-life may prefer to move to pro-life states. I I wonder, I've heard this kind of dialogue before, and I wonder if it's a part of the strategy too. Like if you change the laws in these handful of states, um, these redder states, then like folks that have more progressive views will leave that state and then other folks that have more conservative views will flock to that state. You know, when I think about modern America, you typically have people of like opposite political ideas living in the same town. 
um, more so now than you ever have. Like so many folks are like closely located to each other with drastically different ideas of the way a state should be ran. And maybe this is part of the, I don't want to say like a plan, but a part of the outcome Mm -hmm. of situations like this. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because if you think about, like, okay, LGBT people, you know, and and all of these horrible laws in Texas, like criminalizing parents for helping their trans kids get care. So Never met the new laws, even the old laws. Yes. So many laws. Correct. So, but the thing is that like, you know, parents of trans kids, like, like trans and queer people, like we just, we're everywhere because we are being born every day. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's like, all right, I moved to, to this state and then I'm going to only have cisgender, heterosexual children. It's like, you can't control that. Right. And so we're everywhere. It's not, it doesn't function the same way that like race, for example, functions. Mm. it's different and but then i okay so i think about you know people who are finding themselves in situations where they need to if they can they want to try to move of course most people don't have the capacity to just up and do that um but when you think about something like roe v wade that deeply impacts 50 percent of the population not 10 percent, 50 so there's folks on one spectrum that may want to move, relocate. Um, me personally, I really enjoy the state I live in for many reasons. Um, I talk about this all the time. I'm a big fan of Connecticut. Um, I, I feel like I'm very few in numbers, but I'm a big fan of my state. That's right. Um, and if something was like that to happen um, in my state. Oh, that's hard. It's it is hard. hard. Right. But I still wouldn't want to leave. I, I, I'm. There's a, I think there's a group of people, I have heard them say this, like, no, you can't leave. You have to stay and fight. Sure. To each his own. To hey. each his own. Because I really get the, it's time to pick up and move. Right. But let's say your family has been in a single location for generations. Yeah. And you have community ties. And you have been working a job there for 30 years. And you had grandchildren there. Like, if you have built, like, strong community ties... Mm-hmm. It may not be as easy as, oh, the politics aren't good this decade. I'm going to move to another state sure. across the nation, potentially I've never been to. Yeah. Um, so I also think about like communities rallying together to ensure that their community is getting what they want to see. Right. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, do you think that will impact like where like enrollments at schools? Potentially, maybe not. Um, I mean, a lot of times people don't expect to need an abortion. Very much. And then they do. I, I'm not sure if that would be a part of the college planning. That's, frankly, like I'm thinking about down south. There are some big name schools. Yep. And I don't necessarily think that may impact them because they still have that draw. Right. Now, will it impact smaller schools, state schools, potentially? You know, um, some folks may just be avoiding regions altogether. Right. For a lot of reasons. Sure, um, sure, sure. So I'm not really sure. We would have to see, um, especially what happens in the next coming months. Right. And there's also like so much like sexual health education that often happens on college campuses. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting too. You know, there's a lot, I mean, there's like a lot of learning that happens. And I think it really depends, like, which state we're talking about, because, like, how far is that state from a state where abortion is allowed? Like, what's the driving time? 
like what are the resources of that community? I've been hearing a lot of different strategies, a lot of different job offerings, people offering like jobs offering to pay for travel. Right. Um, so like there's all these other things that are coming up in response to it. And I wonder what would that look like in the coming years? Right. Yeah. It's, and of course, again, like, like so many issues, if you have a lot of resources, you're okay. Yes. You know, you may be inconvenienced, but you have options. But if you don't have a lot of resources, like so many people don't, then your life can be drastically impacted. Yeah. Like if you live in northern Texas um, and you have enough money, I suppose you can hop on a plane. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and yeah, I think about how, you know, I've had um, certainly a number of students who have become pregnant while in college. Some of them choose to have the baby and some don't. Um and some of them have stayed in school and some have dropped out. Yeah. You know, so uh, like it will have, um, it's difficult, of course, to stay in school if you're having a baby while you're a college student. It takes a lot of support. So it would be interesting to see in, in a few years what all this looks like and, and how it impacts people's ability to finish college or... Or even Title Nine. Title Nine On college campuses and yeah. that resulting in a pregnancy. Um, and being forced to carry that pregnancy to term and then the rights that your abuser now has to your life Um, so there's a lot of problems that may arise yes 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 we should definitely talk about this more yes especially with intersectionality yep 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 and um, so yeah maybe later this season maybe season six who knows season six season six We'll let y'all know. <laughs> now, I'm sure we'll be back for season six. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was our boom unsolicited opinions that no one asked for, but we decided to give you anyways. That's right. All right. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye.